Well, hi, everybody, and thanks for joining us. I'm Bill Bateman. I'm part of the team here at Refuse to Be a Victim Personal Protection Training. We're located in southern Oregon in the Medford, White City area, and our topic this week is bugging in. Last week, we talked about the concept of bugging out. Well, what if you're going to be in your home? I'm going to try not to go too long this week or any week. These are big topics and I want to go with small bites, make it easier to digest. I'll also update you on availabilities on classes that we have here as well as upcoming events and promotions. You'll also notice since you found the podcast, below the podcast are links to the site I have visited to research these programs. Now I found some really interesting products and really interesting sites. Now I'm not giving recommendations or endorsements, but these are things that I found when I was researching and I think you might find them useful too. So please keep me informed if you have any problems or that vendor just isn't working out and we'll definitely take them off the list. I'm interested in opinions, both mine and yours. On that topic, the opinions expressed on that program are just that, my opinions, and I want to hear from you too. Drop me an email at podcast at wits-and.com witsand.com and I'll try and respond on the very next program. Okay, the last time, as I mentioned, we talked about things you have to think about if you're going to go. This week, we're going to talk about sheltering at home. I talked to some of the professors at uh, one of the universities, and they said, you know, it's kind of interesting. People tend to go home in a disruption or an upset, and it's absolutely normal absolutely what we would expect to see happen. We only actually spend between 30 and 40 percent of our time at home if we are working. Uh, You are definitely working at home, moms, I understand that, but if you are out in the workforce, then only 30 percent of the time is at the house. And really, if you stop and think about it, it's ideal. We know the house, We know the neighbors. We've hopefully done some preparation. Uh, We've got a good set of contacts built out. But if you're only prepped to bug out, you're making a mistake. Because you may not have time to get out. You may not be aware of the need. And another big question is how long are you prepared to be self-sufficient in your home? First thing I want to say on this episode and on Other episodes as well, if you've been told to evacuate, it's probably a pretty good idea to do it. Uh, My folks lost their home in the Panorama Fire in 1982. They had five minutes to get out, and the flames came over the hill and literally chased them down the street. Now, in this episode, I'm going to use being snowbound as an example, but the logic and the techniques apply to any reason you'd be stuck in the house. Let's go to Vancouver, Washington. It's New Year's Eve. It's about 12, 14 years ago. We had an ice storm. That means first it snowed, then it melted, then it snowed again, then it snowed some more, and then temperatures went to the single digits. Snow, thaw, freeze, more snow. What this means is, A, you're living in a giant slurpee, and B, nobody's going any place. Fortunately, the power held out for a couple of days until the ice was heavy enough to bring down the power lines. The roads were impassable, and we had electric heat. 
Well, we heard that ice storms could happen up here, and we were fortunate first. We were campers, so we had things like a camp stove, heaters, and lanterns. We were lucky to have a fireplace, and I made sure that we got in a fresh cord of wood that was ready to go. Now, it's deceptive when you have to stay at home because you often take things for granted. You're used to the house, you're used to everything, and as I mentioned, we got into preparation a long time back, so we had a store of food and water. And when we went to get into those supplies and got to the batteries, we found out that somebody had put them in their radios and their games and their cassette players. And I don't want to mention any names, but the ravioli was gone. Well, okay, we do believe in rotating our supplies for freshness, but generally they're not for general use. We realized we were going to face the possibility of being stuck in a cold house if the power went. But we had a little time to prepare, so what did we do? We closed off the back rooms that we're not going to use. Now, this is effective in cold weather. It's also effective if uh, we're in a situation where there's a biological problem or we're instructed to stay inside because of a possible pandemic. So closing off and setting up a hub or central room. In our case, we had the fireplace, the supply closet, the kitchen, and access to one bathroom. We put blankets over the doors of the others to keep the heat in a central area. Now, we did this before the lights went out. This is very important. It's bad enough having to do this stuff. It's even worse if you have to do it in the dark. We had heard about the heavy snow coming, and actually in that area, it's a joke. Uh, one of the local weather pundits, every storm coming is the storm of the century. Oh my God, the blizzard of 2018. Oh my God, here it comes. And everybody uh, eventually stopped listening to this person and considered it really just kind of a bad joke. But we heard the snow was coming. We used the empirical method. We looked outside. We said, ooh, those are some ominous looking clouds. We put all of the rechargeable stuff we had on the charger. We started gathering our items together. We had a few days before the power went out, so we made sure that we cooked the items in the fridge while we could. We knew that keeping them cold was not going to be a problem. If the refrigerator quit, just put them in the backyard. They'd be frozen solid. And on a side note, it's my lifestyle that I often cook up several dishes on the weekend to use, like after work or when my son was living at home after soccer practice, things like that. So we had stuff in the freezer that we could simply thaw, heat, and eat. On the very same topic, we had a stash of paper plates, paper towels, because the dishwasher's going out, and you don't want dishes stacking up in the sink. Turns out we had six days of cabin fever, three days in the dark. And we started thinking, okay, we were stuck for six days in there. What if we had to stay longer? Well, regardless of if you're bugging in or bugging out, the basics are always going to apply. For me, water is always first on my list. You can only live about two to three days without clear, clean, appropriately filtered drinking water. First thing we did was fill the tub. We used a liner. We talked about it last week. These are liners you can get at a number of different sources. I've put the link on the website here. What you do is put it in the tub, fill it up, 
from the tub spigot and you've got 50 to 60 gallons of clear clean city water you can seal it and there are directions if you need to add a couple of drops of bleach for long-term storage measure this carefully and for heaven's sakes use plain bleach not that lemon fresh stuff it's great in the laundry it's terrible in the water now i've ensured that i have a filter and a purifier because the best filter on earth is not going to get rid of bacteria you have to have a way to both purify and filter your water we had shelter that was our house and we formed a hub to conserve heat and reduce air circulation we had food i talked about that we had our emergency stash now i have mres and dehydrated food both in the car and in my home now i'm going to go on a side tangent here i have bought both of these and i'm going to be trying these products and report back in future episodes i'm going to cook them up and give you a review on what it's like coming in i'm going to turn off all the lights and wander around uh the neighbors love it when i do this banging crashing bursts of profanity when i drop something on my foot it'll be good uh, it'll be good theater so i make sure i'm going to use up the food in the fridge first and then go to my emergency supplies now heat especially as we move into the colder months here in southern oregon heat's very important now we had a fireplace and that was used for warmth we had a camp stove that was used for cooking and we had propane heaters a lot of folks i know use kerosene and i hear that's very very good you can store kerosene for long periods safely and it's very common but you do need to read and understand all directions regarding indoor use of any heater i'm just going to say this as plainly as i can carbon monoxide poison will quite simply kill you i'm very serious make sure the items you have are rated for indoor use make sure you're using them appropriately lighting okay i put everything on the recharger now in these dark months especially it's really important to make sure that you have appropriate light Uh, we had oil lamps simply because i like them we had candles and we put a lighter next to each candle that we set out we made sure the flashlights had fresh batteries and those that needed to were on the recharger next thing you want to do is contact others we had the phone on the charger but that didn't stop us from texting anybody we could think of who may be calling us or worried yes there is a blizzard yes everybody's home safe and let's get in touch wednesday about noon so they knew when they should hear from us next now in our neighborhood i mentioned you build a sense of community our son knew the neighbor kid and uh, we had not only a set of two ways that had migrated between the house the kids had set up a flashing light thing they did between the windows Uh, i had no idea what they were up to but it was another method of communication and keeping in touch plus keeping a bunch of middle schoolers busy and i want to tell you a house full of middle schoolers you definitely want them occupied yes it's using up some flashlight batteries but i think it was worth it so our supplies were basically intact except for the little ravioli incident and we were only without power for three days if things get worse if things start going downhill or extending due to weather due to a storm there are two issues that are really going to be very important first sanitation 
Improper waste disposal will make you sick. And in today's society, we don't think about that. Outbreaks of salmonella, botulism, etc. have happened at restaurants due to improper cleaning. Uh, use the door handle in public restrooms after people who don't wash your hands? Question mark. Well, I saw a swab taken off a door at a regular business office. And now I'm one of those people who uses the paper towel to open the door. I used to laugh at them. Uh, Folks, it's important to wash your hands. And if you're in an emergency situation, having wipes uh, to, to clean your hands, having Purell or something like that, dysentery upsets you. You're unable to travel. It can be life threatening. And if you have to bug out, you're not going to be able to go. What medications do you have? I have asked my doctor about the best practices if I'm in that type of situation. Most healthcare providers are happy to point you in the right direction, reputable sources of information, and even suggest some over-the-counter medications, and if necessary, based on your particular situation, issue a prescription. Sanitation is one issue, water is the other. Drinking water out of the toilet tank, I found out, is not a good idea because the tenant before you could have been using those bleach tablets. You put those in to keep the toilet bowl sparkly clean and all that bleach leaches in to the toilet tank. Getting water out of the creek. I happen to live along Wagner Creek. So running out, grabbing some water out of the creek or melting some snow, it still is going to need to be purified. And as I said, filtering is good but you have to take care of bacteria, again, as a health issue. Now, if the toilets back up, if the toilets aren't usable because the water quits, you can take some of that water that you put in the bathroom, pour it in the tank, and then use that to flush. If you get word on the radio or you start hearing, whoa, the sewers are backing up or it's just simply not going down, you're going to have to revert to plan B. And this is where a big bag of kitty litter and having an excellent supply of plastic bags is very important. I urge you to have both the small gallon size and the larger trash bags, the heavy ones. Don't go cheap on this, folks, and it's going to become evident as to why in just a few seconds. You see, you're going to put that plastic bag in the toilet. You're going to use duct tape to hold it in place, and after each use, you're going to put in at least a scoop of kitty litter to deal with both smell, odor absorption, and absorbing any of the liquids to keep this easy to handle. At a certain point, you're going to seal that bag up with duct tape, take it outside, take it someplace it's going to be disposed of after the emergency, and you're not going to just dump it in the creek. Sadly, I've been camping enough to know that exactly that happens. There are some people who are that foolish. Bottom line, you're going to need clean water, you're going to need good sanitation, and you're going to have to really practice things like hand washing and storing food as best as you can because spoiled food equals botulism, and botulism can be fatal. Any of these intestinal upsets are going to make you weak, unable to travel, and if left untreated, can be life-threatening. On that topic, what type of medicine do you have at home? Now, there's your prescription meds, and I hope you've sat with your physician and talked with them about what you're going to absolutely have to have. What's a worst-case scenario? Now, I have certain meds I need to take, let's say, for high blood pressure. 
okay, I can get by for a day or so without that, or I can take a pill every other day. But folks who are on insulin need to have that on a regular basis. Plus, insulin needs to be kept cool. So if there are special medications in your life, have that discussion with your health care provider in advance. Also, you're going to see an increase in symptoms like, I am diabetic, I don't take insulin, and I know when I'm under high stress, my blood sugar will just drop like a rock. So I know what to do now. I can feel it. I've had that discussion with my health care provider, and I can tell you for a fact, it's much better to talk in the doctor's office than trying to yell over a cell phone in a howling snowstorm. Let's take it to the next level and not make the fact that you're at home keep a trauma kit out of your med supplies and first aid supplies. You're at home, don't get complacent. Uh, What if this is a civil unrest situation or terrorism instead of uh, a snowstorm or a fire and you have to deal with a trauma-like injury, a burn, a a stabbing, you get poked on a tree limb, you get shot. How are you going to deal with that? Again, and we're going to go into more depth in medicine in this whole separate episode, you're going to have to have both the ability and the willingness to deal with this problem. In all of these programs, by the way, and this just occurred to me as I'm chatting, we're going about 30,000 feet and looking down and kind of looking at general ideas and topics. We're going to double back and begin going in depth in the weeks to come. That kind of gives you an idea what we're going to go into. One area I want to spend a lot of time, what if you're separated? I mentioned that uh, we're all going to get home. Well, what if one working parent's at the office and one parent's at home? Or what if the kids are stuck at school? What is your plan? This is as I said, very unsettling, whether you're bugging out or whether you're separated due to uh, the roads being jammed or the roads being iced up. I recommend texting versus calling. Calling is going to be overloaded. You're going to have a much better opportunity of reaching somebody via text. And I would discuss your plan in advance and have someone from out of the area. For example, uh, my son lives in the Portland area. I have my sister in Chicago. I can text them and then someone else, my son could text me or he could text my sister if he can't get through to me. An out-of-the-area call is going to more likely go through or an out-of-the-area text. Locally, the towers are going to be jammed. So have a plan in advance, and do discuss this among the family, especially if you have young children. Let them know you're planning for this. Let them know you're aware of their concerns, and listen to their concerns and feelings, and try and come up with ideas and strategies to deal with that before it gets dark and cold. One mention about security at home, don't get a false sense of security. Now, it's home. Everything's fine. We're good. We got our fire going. Don't be paranoid. Be watchful. Kids are going to pick up on you being unsettled, so stay as calm as possible. But do you have extra keys safely stowed in case you happen to lose yours? Can you deal with the garage door when the power goes out? If somebody shows up claiming to be from a public agency or the utility company, especially not in a uniform, I'm going to want to see a valid ID. And honestly, I can't think of any reason why anybody's going to have to come in to my my house. 
couple of technical thoughts. If the power goes off, you're going to want to turn off a lot of things in the home, except for maybe one small lamp. Even with surge protectors, when that whole grid comes back up, you're going to get a surge, and you might damage some of your items. One point that everybody likes to consider is how much is enough. I had somebody talk to me about this just this last weekend. I'm adding up all the things I've suggested on my fingers, and cost-wise, it builds up quick. Like anything else, you're going to start with the basics and then add according to your family needs. A minimum of three days for an emergency, build up from there. Some folks have two weeks, some folks have a month. It's something you're going to build up so you can manage the cost and manage the process. This takes time and it requires work and planning. If you're a single man, well, that's me, simpler for me than if you have a whole family and you have to worry about things like formula, diapers, medication, young children, the different issues that you're going to be dealing with with transportation and housing. If you're going to be home, make sure that you have some simple comfort foods like popcorn or pretzels. Deal with the nervous eating that's going to happen. And uh, some things to do like board games because the electricity is going to be out. You won't be on the computer or the internet. And if the grid goes down or the phone banks go out, you aren't going to be doing a whole lot of anything. So make sure that you have things to do. Even reading a book by candlelight. Very Abraham Lincoln. The one thing most people forget about is caring for the caregivers. That's you. When there are two of you, spell each other. Being on point for five days is really going to wreak havoc on your nervous system. Make sure you get enough sleep. I mentioned keeping a regular schedule. I'm going to mention it again. Yes, you're stuck in the house. Yes, it's snowing. Brr, cold. Put another log on the fire. It's 10 o'clock. Time for bed. I do have a couple other suggestions. The psychological impact can be mitigated if you have a dry run. Maybe turn off the lights for 24 hours and see how it works. Look at it as a dress rehearsal. It's much better to evaluate where things fall apart when it's practice than when it's for real. I mentioned camping, and I'm probably going to mention it again. If you're not a camper, try it sometime. I know many of our state parks have yurts that are available. You can rent them at, I think, like $35 a night. Go camping. See what it's like to haul things, to walk to the bathroom. Be advised in advance of the type of things you're going to deal with instead of at the last minute. Okay, let's review. This week we talked about gradually building up our supply stash at home. There is a cost involved, but the cost is not as high as not having it when you need it. I'm talking about things like water purification, tablets, filters, sterilization, that type of thing. We're going to remember to eat the food in the fridge first, then our food stores, and then go to those MREs and dehydrated packets. And a reminder, a review of those products is coming up soon. We're going to do our medical work with our provider information and make sure we can at least know what supplies we must have and begin to take steps to store them properly and effectively. One thing I didn't mention, and I think it's really worth bringing up now, you need to maintain the ability to evacuate if you have to leave. What if things get uh, even worse and you have to go someplace else? Let's make sure that go bag stays intact. If the situation goes, 
don't get into your existing supplies. In fact, you can supplement the go bag with things you have at home. And remember, kids cannot carry as much as an adult can. Between 5 and 10% of their body weight, depending on their age, and if you overload them, you're going to end up carrying both their supplies and the child. Discuss in advance what to do if you're separated. I recommend numbers written on paper in the book bag. Do not count on the phone, and one thing I can tell you I really like having is just a picture of those special family members. We talked about sanitation. Remember, keeping clean is vital in these situations. Good quality plastic bags for dealing with waste. Gloves, absolutely. Some kitty litter if you're going to be at home. And check out those resources for proper roughing it techniques. Also include some wipe sanitization uh, for your hands if you don't have gloves involved. And also deal with things like food scraps and garbage. Maybe not in the winter, but I can promise you, you are going to attract mice, bugs, even raccoons in the summer months if you're not dealing with trash appropriately. And finally, let's consider those special cases you may have in your home. Persons that are going to need some extra help and assistance due to mobility, age, or medication or medical needs. One final recommendation How do we start this off? I'd like to recommend a weekly meeting, a half hour, 45 minutes to talk about these things. Let it build on its own monthly, then quarterly, and then check in to update and revise and review the supplies you've got. This also gives you a chance to schedule training. By the way, we're posting some new classes here at Refuse to be a Victim Personal Protection Training, and I'd like to urge you when you are done listening to this, to check through the class listings. We're adding a tactical shotgun for November and a scenario class for November, weather permitting, although bad situations don't recognize weather conditions. Maybe something you want to look into. Okay, our next program is going to be on Monday, October the 29th, and we'll be talking about the car bag or the get home bag. They are by design totally different in purpose from a go bag, Let's talk about how we can double their usefulness, and I have some personal experience on this issue we can talk about. Now, if you want to send me your two cents and some good ideas or your opinion, happy to hear from you. Where you clicked to play this in that information box, there's a good email address. I'm Bill Bateman, and this program is copyright. Refuse to be a victim. Personal protection training, 2018. It may not be rebroadcast, edited, or sold without the express written permission of the company. It may be downloaded or shared by guests to this website for non-commercial entertainment purposes only. That's it for this week. Starting on that plan we talked about. Be safe out there, and I'll see you at the range. <laughs>